tonight a reading from Coraline by Neil Gaiman. If you would like to hear this full book read by me as an audiobook, you can get that right now on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get two episodes every week instead of one, and you get access to every episode so far, including full audiobooks. Whenever I finish a book, I put it all together into one long episode. Sometimes we do that with rain sounds in the background as well, so you have a choice of versions of that book. And so Coraline is one of those. You can also get The Wizard of Oz. You can get The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and more. You also get to vote on what book I read next. So do come and join me if you can at patreon.com slash down to sleep. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for listening. Let's get down to sleep. Whatever app you're listening on, please do consider leaving a positive review for this podcast if you enjoy it. That would be a great way to support it and help others find the podcast. Thank you. I will be brave, thought Coraline. No, I am brave. She put down the candlestick on the floor, then turned around. The other mother and the other father were looking at her hungrily. I don't need a snack, she said. I have an apple, see? She took an apple from her dressing gown pocket, then bit into it with relish and an enthusiasm that she did not really feel. The other father looked disappointed. The other mother smiled, showing a full set of teeth, and each of the teeth was a tiny bit too long. The lights in the hallway made her black button eyes glitter and gleam. You don't frighten me, said Coraline, although they did frighten her very much. I want my parents back. The world seemed to shimmer a little at the edges. Whatever would I have done with your old parents? If they have left you, Coraline, it must be because they became bored of you or tired. Now I will never become bored of you and I will never abandon you. You will always be safe here with me. The other mother's wet-looking black hair drifted around her head like the tentacles of a creature in the deep ocean. They weren't bored of me, said Coraline. You're lying. You stole them. Silly, silly Coraline. They are fine wherever they are. Coraline simply glared at the other mother. I'll prove it said the other mother, and brushed the surface of the mirror with her long, white fingers. It clouded over as if a dragon had breathed on it, and it cleared. In the mirror it was daytime already. Coraline was looking at the hallway, all the way down to her front door. The door opened from the outside, and Coraline's mother and father walked inside, carrying suitcases. That was a fine holiday, said Coraline's father. How nice it is not to have Coraline anymore, said her mother with a happy smile. Now we can do all the things we always wanted to do, like go abroad, but were prevented from doing by having a little daughter. And, said her father, I take great comfort in knowing that other mother will take better care of her than we ever could. The mirror fogged and faded and reflected the night once more. See, said her other mother. No, said Coraline. I don't see and I don't believe it either. She hoped that what she had just seen was not real. But she was not as certain as she sounded. There was a tiny doubt inside her like a maggot at an apple core. Then she looked up and saw the expression on her other mother's face, a flash of real anger, which crossed her face like summer lightning, and Coraline was sure in her heart that what she had seen in that mirror was no more than an illusion. Coraline sat down on the sofa and ate her apple. Please, said her other mother, don't be difficult. She walked into the drawing room and clapped her hands twice. There was a rustling noise and a black rat appeared. It stared up at her. Bring me the key, she said. 
chittered. Then it ran through the open door that led back to Coraline's own flat. The rat returned, dragging the key behind it. Why don't you have your own key on this side? asked Coraline. There is only one key, only one door, said the other father. Hush, said other mother. You must not bother our darling Coraline's head with such trivialities. She put the key in the keyhole and twisted. The lock was stiff, but it clunked closed. She dropped the key into her apron pocket. Outside, the sky had begun to lighten to a luminous grey. If we aren't going to have a midnight snack, said the other mother, we still need our beauty sleep. I am going back to bed, Caroline. I would strongly suggest you do the same. She placed her long white fingers on the shoulders of the other father and she walked him out of the room. Coraline walked over to the door at the far corner of the drawing room. She tugged on it, but it was tightly locked. The door of her other parent's bedroom was now closed. She was indeed tired, but she did not want to sleep in the bedroom. She did not want to sleep under the same roof as her other mother. The front door was not locked. Coraline walked out into the dawn and down the stone stairs. She sat down on the bottom step. It was cold. Something furry pushed itself against her side in one smooth, insinuating motion. Coraline jumped, then breathed a sigh of relief when she saw what it was. Oh, it's you, she said to the black cat. See, said the cat. It wasn't so hard recognizing me, was it? Even without names. Well... What if I wanted to call you? The cat wrinkled its nose and managed to look unimpressed. Calling cats, it confided, tends to be rather overrated an activity. Might as well call a whirlwind. What if it was dinner time? asked Caroline. Wouldn't you want to be called then? Of course, said the cat. But a simple cry of dinner would do nicely, see? No need for names. Why does she want me? Coraline asked the cat. Why does she want me to stay here with her? She wants something to love, I think. Something that isn't her. She might want something to eat as well. It's hard to tell with creatures like that. Do you have any advice? asked Coraline. The cat looked as if it were about to say something else sarcastic. Then it flicked its whiskers and said, Challenge her. There's no guarantee that she'll play fair, but her kind of thing loves games and challenges. What kind of thing is that? asked Coraline. But the cat made no answer, simply stretched luxuriantly and walked away. Then it stopped and turned and said, I'd go inside if I were you. Get some sleep. You have a long day ahead of you. And then the cat was gone. Still, Coraline realized it had a point. She crept back into the silent house, past the closed bedroom door, inside which the other mother and the other father, what, she wondered, slept, waited, and then it came to her that if she were to open the bedroom door, she would find it empty. Or more precisely, it was an empty room, and it would remain empty until the exact moment that she opened the door. Somehow that made it easier. Coraline walked into the green and pink parody of her own bedroom. She closed the door, hauled the toy box in front of it, it would not keep anyone out, but the noise somebody would make trying to dislodge it would wake her, she hoped. The toys in the toy box were still mostly asleep. They stirred and muttered as she moved their box, but then they went back to sleep. Coraline checked under her bed, looking for rats, but there was nothing there. 
She took off her dressing gown and slippers and climbed into bed and fell asleep with barely enough time to reflect on what the cat could have meant by a challenge. Caroline was woken by the mid-morning sun, full on her face. For a moment she felt utterly dislocated. She did not know where she was. She was not entirely sure who she was. It is astonishing just how much of what we are can be tied to the beds that we wake up in in the morning. And it is astonishing how fragile that can be. Sometimes Coraline would forget who she was while she was daydreaming that she was exploring the Arctic, or the Amazon rainforest, or darkest Africa. It was not until someone tapped her on the shoulder, or said her name, that Coraline would come back from a million miles away with a start, all in a fraction of a second, and have to remember who she was, what her name was, and that she was even there at all. Now there was sun on her face, and she was Coraline Jones, yes, and the green and the pinkness of the room she was in, the rustling of a large painted paper butterfly, as it fluttered and beat its way about the ceiling, told her where she had woken up. She climbed out of the bed. She could not wear her pajamas, dressing gown, and slippers during the day, she decided, even if it meant wearing the other Coraline's clothes. Was there another Coraline? No, she realized there wasn't. There was just her. There were no regular clothes in the cupboard, though. They were more like dressing-up clothes. The kind of clothes that she would love to have hanging in her own wardrobe at home. There was a raggedy witch costume. A patched scarecrow costume. A future warrior costume with little digital lights in it that glittered and blinked. A slinky evening dress all covered in feathers and mirrors. Finally, in a drawer, she found a pair of black jeans that seemed to be made of velvet night, and a grey sweater, the colour of thick smoke, with faint and tiny stars in the fabric which twinkled. She pulled on the jeans and the sweater. Then she put on a pair of bright orange boots that she found at the bottom of the cupboard. She took her last apple out of the pocket of her dressing gown, and then took from the same pocket the stone with the hole in it. She put the stone into the pocket of her jeans, and it was as if her head had cleared a little, as if she had come out of some sort of fog. She went into the kitchen, but it was deserted. Still, she was sure that there was someone in the flat. She walked down the hall until she reached her father's study, and discovered that it was occupied. "'Where's the other mother?' she asked other father. He was sitting in the study, at a desk which looked just like her father's, but he was not doing anything at all, not even reading gardening catalogues as her own father did when he was only pretending to be working. "'Out,' he told her, fixing the doors. "'There are some vermin problems.' He seemed pleased to have somebody to talk to. The rats, you mean? No, the rats are our friends. This is the other kind. Big black fellow with his tail high. The cat, you mean? That's the one, said her other father. He looked less like her true father today. There was something slightly vague about his face, like bread dough that had begun to rise smoothing out the bumps and the cracks and the depressions. "'Really, I mustn't talk to you when she's not here,' he said. "'But don't you worry, she won't be gone often. I shall demonstrate our tender hospitality to you, such that you will not even think about ever going back.' He closed his mouth and folded his hands in his lap. "'So what am I to do now?' asked Coraline. The other father pointed to his lips. Silence. If you won't even talk to me, said Coraline, I'm going exploring. No point, said the other father. There isn't anywhere but here. This is all she made. The house, the grounds, the people in the house. She made it, 
and she waited. Then he looked embarrassed and put one finger to his lips again as if he had just said too much. Coraline walked out of his study. She went into the drawing room over to the old door and she pulled it, rattled and shook it. Nope, it was locked fast. An other mother had the key. She looked around the room. It was so familiar. That was what made it feel so truly strange. Everything was exactly the same as she remembered. There was all her grandmother's strange-smelling furniture. There was the painting of a bowl of fruit, a bunch of grapes, two plums, a peach, an apple. There was the low wooden table with the lion's feet, and the empty fireplace, which seemed to suck heat from the room. But there was something else. Something she did not remember seeing before. A ball of glass up on the mantelpiece. She went over to the fireplace, went up on her tiptoes and lifted it down. It was a snow globe, with two little people in it. Coraline shook it and set the snow flying. White snow that glittered as it tumbled through the water. She put the snow globe back on the mantelpiece and carried on looking for her true parents. And for a way out. She went out of the flat, past the flashing lights door, behind which other Mrs. Spink and Forcible performed their show forever, and she set off into the woods. Where Coraline came from, once you were through the patch of trees, you saw nothing but the meadow and the old tennis court. In this place, the woods went on farther. The trees became cruder and less tree-like the farther you went. Pretty soon they seemed very approximate, like the idea of trees, a greyish-brown trunk below, a greenish splodge of something that might have been leaves above. Coraline wondered if the other mother wasn't interested in trees, or if she just hadn't bothered with this bit properly because nobody was expected to come out this far. She kept walking, and then the mist began. It was not damp like a normal fog or mist, it was not cold, it was not warm. It felt to Coraline like she was walking into nothing. I'm an explorer, thought Coraline to herself, and I need all the ways out of here that I can get, so I shall keep walking. The world that she was walking through was a pale nothingness like a blank sheet of paper or an enormous, empty white room. It had no temperature, no smell, no texture, and no taste. It certainly isn't mist, thought Coraline, although she did not know what it was. For a moment she wondered if she might have gone blind, but no, she could see herself plain as day. But there was no ground beneath her feet, just a misty, milky whiteness. And what do you think you're doing? said a shape to one side of her. It took a few moments for her eyes to focus on it properly. She thought it might be some kind of lion at first, some distance away from her, and then she thought it might be a mouse. And then she knew what it was. I'm exploring, Coraline told the cat. Its fur stood straight out from its body. Its eyes were wide, and its tail was down and between its legs. It did not look a happy cat. Bad place, said the cat, if you want to call it a place, which I don't. What are you doing here? I'm exploring. There's nothing to find here. This is just the outside the part of the place that she hasn't bothered to create. She, the one who says she's your other mother, said the cat. What is she? asked Coraline. The cat did not answer, it just padded through the pale mist besides Coraline. A shape began to appear in front of them, something high and towering and dark. You were wrong, she told the cat. There is something there. And then it took a shape in the mist. A 
a dark house which loomed at them out of formless whiteness. But that's, said Coraline, the house that you just left. Precisely. Maybe I just got turned around in the mist, said Coraline. The cat curled the high tip of its tail into a question mark and tipped its head to one side. You might have done, it said. I certainly would not. Wrong, indeed. But how can you walk away from something and still come back to it? Easy, said the cat. Think of somebody walking around the world. You start out walking away from something and end up coming back to it. Small world, said Coraline. Big enough for her, said the cat. Spider's webs only have to be large enough to catch flies. Coraline shivered. He said she's fixing all the gates and the doors, she told the cat, to keep you out. She may try, said the cat, unimpressed. Oh yes, she may try. They were standing under a clump of trees now besides the house. These trees looked much more likely. There's ways in and ways out of places like this that even she doesn't know about. Did she make this place, then? asked Coraline. Made it. Found it. What's the difference? asked the cat. Either way, she's had it a very long time. Hang on. It gave a shiver and a leap, and before Coraline could blink, the cat was sitting with its paw, holding down a big black rat. Not that I like rats at the best of times, said the cat conversationally, as if nothing had happened. But the rats in this place are all spies for her. She uses them as her eyes and hands. And with that, the cat let the rat go. It ran several feet, and then the cat, with one bound, was upon it, batting it hard with one sharp clawed paw, while the other paw held the rat down. I love this bit, said the cat happily. Want to see me do that again? No, said Coraline. Why do you do it? You're torturing it. Mmm, said the cat, and it let the rat go. The rat stumbled, dazed for a few steps. Then it began to run. With a blow of its paw, the cat knocked the rat into the air and caught it in its mouth. Stop it, said Coraline. The cat dropped the rat between its two front paws. There are those, it said with a sigh, in tones as smooth as oiled silk, who have suggested the tendency of a cat to play with its prey is a merciful one. After all, it permits the occasional funny little running snack to escape from time to time. How often does your dinner get to escape? And then it picked the rat up in its mouth and carried it off into the woods. Coraline walked back into the house. All was quiet and empty and deserted. Even her footsteps on the carpeted floor seemed loud. Dust motes hung in a beam of sunlight. At the far end of the hall was a mirror. She could see herself walking towards the mirror, looking reflected, a little braver than she actually felt. There was nothing else there in the mirror, just her in the corridor. A hand touched her shoulder, and she looked up. The other mother stared down at Coraline with big black button eyes. Coraline, my darling, she said. I thought we could play some games together this morning, now that you're back from your walk. Hopscotch, Happy Families, Monopoly. You weren't in the mirror, said Coraline. The other mother smiled. Mirrors, she said, are never to be trusted. Now what game shall we play? Coraline shook her head. I don't want to play with you, she said. I want to go home and be with my real parents. I want you to let them go, to let us all go. The other mother shook her head very slowly. Sharper than a serpent's tooth, she said, is a daughter's ingratitude. Still, 
The proudest spirit can be broken with love. Her long white fingers waggled and caressed the air. I have no plans to love you, said Coraline. No matter what, you can't make me love you. Let's talk about it, said Other Mother. She turned and walked into the lounge and Coraline followed her. The Other Mother sat down on the big sofa. She picked up a shopping bag from besides the sofa and took out a white, rustling paper bag from inside it. She extended the hand with it to Coraline. Would you like one? she asked politely. Expecting it to be a toffee or a butterscotch ball, Coraline looked down. The bag was half filled with large, shiny black beetles, crawling over each other in efforts to get out of the bag. No, said Coraline, I don't want one. Suit yourself, said Other Mother. She carefully picked out a particularly large and black beetle, pulled off its legs, which she dropped neatly into a big glass ashtray on the small table beside the sofa, and popped the beetle into her mouth. She crunched it happily. Yum, she said, and took another. You're sick, said Coraline. Sick and evil and weird. Is that any way to talk to your mother? Her other mother asked, with her mouth full of black beetles. You aren't my mother, said Coraline. Her other mother ignored this. Now, I think you are a little overexcited, Coraline. Perhaps this afternoon we could do a little embroidery together, or some watercolour painting. Then dinner, and then, if you've been good... You may play with the rats a little before bed, and I shall read you a story and tuck you in and kiss you goodnight. Her long white fingers fluttered gently like a tired butterfly, and Coraline shivered. No, said Coraline. The other mother sat on the sofa. Her mouth was set in a line. Her lips were pursed. She popped another black beetle into her mouth and then another, like someone with a bag of chocolate-covered raisins. Her big black button eyes stared into Coraline's hazel eyes. Her shiny black hair twined and twisted about her neck and shoulders, as if it were blowing in some wind that Coraline could not touch or feel. They stared at each other for over a minute. Then the other mother said, Manners. She folded the white paper bag carefully so no black beetles could escape, and she placed it back into the shopping bag. She stood up, and up, and up. She seemed taller than Coraline remembered. She reached into her apron pocket and pulled out, first the black door key, which she frowned at and tossed into her shopping bag then a tiny silver-coloured key. She held it up, triumphantly. There we are, she said. This is for you, Coraline, for your own good, because I love you, to teach you manners. Manners maketh man, after all. She pulled Coraline back into the hallway and advanced upon the mirror at the end of the hall. She pushed the tiny key into the fabric of the mirror, and twisted it. It opened like a door, revealing a dark space behind it. You may come out when you've learned some manners, said the other mother, and when you're ready to be a loving daughter. She picked Coraline up and pushed her into the dim space behind the mirror. A fragment of beetle was sticking to her lower lip, and there was no expression at all in her black button eyes. Then she swung the mirror door closed and left Coraline in darkness. Chapter 7 Somewhere inside her, Coraline could feel a huge sob welling up, and then she stopped it before it came out. She took a deep breath and let it go. She put out her hands to touch the space in which she was imprisoned. It was the size of a broom closet, tall enough to stand in 
or to sit in, not wide or deep enough to lie down in. One wall was glass and it felt cold to the touch. She went around the tiny room a second time, running her hands over every surface that she could reach, feeling for doorknobs or switches, concealed catches, some kind of way out, and found nothing. A spider scuttled over the back of her hand and she choked back a shriek. But apart from the spider, she was alone, in the closet, in the pitch dark. And then her hand touched something that felt for all the world like somebody's cheek and lips, small and cold. And a voice whispered in her ear, Hush and shh, say nothing, for the beldam might be listening. Coraline said nothing. She felt a cold hand touch her face, fingers running over it like the gentle beat of a moth's wings. Another voice, hesitant and so faint that Coraline wondered if she were imagining it. It said, Art thou, art thou alive? Yes, whispered Coraline. Poor child, said the first voice. Who are you? whispered Coraline. Names, 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 said another voice, all far away and lost. The names are the first things to go, after the breath has gone, and the beating of the heart. We keep our memories longer than our names. I still keep pictures in my mind of my governess on some May morning, carrying my hoop and stick, and the morning sun behind her, and all the tulips bobbing in the breeze. But I have forgotten the name of my governess, and of the tulips too. I don't think tulips have names, said Coraline. They're just tulips. Perhaps, said the voice sadly, but I have always thought that these tulips might have had names. They were red, and orange, and red, and red, and orange, and yellow, like embers in the nursery fire of a winter's evening. I remember them. The voice sounded so sad that Coraline put out a hand to the place where the voice was coming from, and she found a cold hand and squeezed it tightly. Her eyes were beginning to get used to the darkness. Now Coraline saw, or imagined that she saw, three shapes, each as faint and pale as the moon in the daytime sky. They were the shapes of children, about her own size. The cold hand squeezed her hand back. Thank you, said the voice. Are you a girl? asked Coraline. Or a boy? There was a pause. When I was small, I wore skirts, and my hair was long and curled, it said doubtfully. But now that you ask, it does seem to me that one day they took my skirts and gave me breeches and cut my hair. Taint something we give a mind to said the first of the voices. A boy, perhaps, then, continued the one whose hand she was holding. I believe I was once a boy. And it glowed a little more brightly in the darkness of the room behind the mirror. What happened to you all? asked Coraline. How did you come here? She left us here, said one of the voices. She stole our hearts. She stole our souls. And she took our lives away, and she left us here, and she forgot about us in the dark. You poor things, said Coraline. How long have you been here? So very long a time, said a voice. Aye, time beyond reckoning, said another voice. I walked through the scullery door, said the voice of the one that thought it might be a boy, and I found myself back in the parlour, but she was waiting for me. She told me she was my other mamma, but I never saw my true mamma again. Flee, said the very first of the voices, another girl. Flee, while there's still air in your lungs and blood in your veins and warmth in your heart. Flee while you still have your mind and your soul. I'm not running away, said Coraline. She has my parents. I came to get them back. She'll keep you here while the days turn to dust and the leaves fall, and the years pass one after the next like the tick, tick, ticking of a clock. No, said Coraline, 
she won't. There was silence in the room behind the mirror. Peradventure, said a voice in the darkness, if you could win your mama and papa back from the beldam, you could also win free our souls. Has she taken them? asked Coraline, shocked. I, and hidden them. That's why we could not leave here when we died. She kept us. She fed on us. Until now we've nothing left of ourselves, only snake skins and spider husks. Find our secret hearts, young mistress. What will happen to you if I do? The voices said nothing. And what is she going to do to me, she said. The pale figures pulsed faintly. She could imagine that they were nothing more than afterimages, like the glow left by a bright light in your eyes after the lights go out. It doth not hurt, whispered a faint voice. She will take your life, and all you are, and all you cared for. She'll leave you with nothing but mist and fog. She'll take your joy, and one day you'll awake, and your heart and your soul will be gone. A husk you'll be, a wisp you'll be, and a thing, no more than a dream on waking, or a memory of something forgotten. Hollow, whispered the third voice. Hollow, 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 hollow. You must flee. I don't think so, said Coraline. I tried running away, and it didn't work. She just took my parents. Can you tell me how to get out of this room? If we knew, we would tell you. Poor things, said Coraline to herself. She sat down. She took off her sweater and rolled it up and put it behind her head as a pillow. She won't keep me in the dark forever, said Coraline. She brought me here to play games. Games and challenges, the cat said. I'm not much of a challenge here in the dark. She tried to get comfortable, twisting and bending herself to fit the cramped space behind the mirror. Her stomach rumbled. She ate her last apple, taking the tiniest bites, making it last as long as she could. When she had finished, she was still hungry. Then an idea struck her, and she whispered, When she comes to let me out, why don't you three come with me? We wish that we could, they sighed to her in their barely there voices. But she has our hearts in her keeping. Now we belong to the dark, to empty places. The light would shrivel us and burn. Oh, said Coraline. She closed her eyes, which made the darkness darker. She rested her head on the rolled up sweater and she went to sleep. And as she fell asleep, she thought she felt a ghost kiss her cheek, tenderly, and a small voice whisper into her ear, a voice so faint that it was barely there at all, a gentle, wispy nothing of a voice so hushed that Coraline could almost believe that she was imagining it. Look through the stone, it said to her. And then she slept. The other mother looked healthier than before. There was a little blush to her cheeks and her hair was wriggling like lazy snakes on a warm day. Her black button eyes seemed as if they had been freshly polished. She had pushed through the mirror as if she were walking through nothing more solid than water and had stared down at Coraline. She opened the door with a little silver key picked Coraline up, just as Coraline's real mother had when Coraline was much younger, cradling the half-sleeping child as if she were a baby. The other mother carried Coraline into the kitchen and put her down very gently upon the countertop. Coraline struggled to wake herself up, conscious only for the moment of having been cuddled and loved and wanting more of it and then realizing where she was and who she was with. There, my sweet Coraline, said her other mother. I came and fetched you out of the cupboard. You needed to be taught a lesson, but we temper our justice with mercy here. 
We love the sinner and we hate the sin. Now if you will be a good child who loves her mother, be compliant and fair-spoken, you and I shall understand each other perfectly, and we shall love each other perfectly as well. Coraline scratched the sleep grit from her eyes. There were other children in there, she said. Old ones, from a long time ago. Were there, said the other mother. She was bustling between the pans and the fridge, bringing out eggs and cheeses, butter, and a slab of sliced pink bacon. Yes, said Coraline. There were. I think you are planning to turn me into one of them. A dead shell. Her other mother smiled gently. With one hand she cracked the eggs into a bowl. With the other she whisked them and whirled them. Then she dropped a pat of butter into a frying pan, where it hissed and fizzled and spun as she sliced thin slices of cheese. She poured the melted butter and the cheese into the egg mixture and whisked it some more. Now I think you're being silly, dear, said other mother. I love you. I will always love you. Nobody sensible believes in ghosts, anyway. Because they're all such liars. Smell the lovely breakfast I'm making for you. She poured the yellow mixture into the pan. Cheese omelette. Your favorite. Caroline's mouth watered. You like games, she said. That's what I've been told. The other mother's black eyes flashed. Everybody likes games, was all that she said. Yes, said Caroline. She climbed down from the counter and sat at the table. The bacon was sizzling and spitting under the grill. It smelled wonderful. Wouldn't you be happier if you won me, fair and square, asked Caroline. Possibly, said the other mother. She had a show of unconcernness, but her fingers twitched and drummed, and she licked her lips with her scarlet tongue. What exactly are you offering? Me, said Caroline. She gripped her knees under the table to stop them from shaking. If I lose, I'll stay here with you forever. I'll let you love me. I'll be a most dutiful daughter. I'll eat your food and play happy families, and I will let you sew your buttons into my eyes. Her other mother stared at her. Black buttons unblinking. That sounds very fine, she said. And if you do not lose, then you let me go. You let everyone go, my real father and mother, the dead children, everyone you've trapped here. The other mother took the bacon from under the grill and put it on a plate. She slipped the cheese omelette from the pan onto the plate, flipping it as she did so, letting it fold itself into a perfect omelette shape. She placed the breakfast plate in front of Coraline along with a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice and a mug of frothy hot chocolate. Yes, she said, I think I like this game. But what kind of game shall it be? A riddle game? A test of knowledge or of skill? An exploring game, suggested Coraline. A finding things game? And what is it you think you should be finding in this hide-and-go-seek game, Coraline Jones? Coraline hesitated. Then, My parents, said Coraline, and the souls of the children behind the mirror. The other mother smiled at this, triumphantly, and Coraline wondered if she had made the right choice. Still, it was too late to change her mind now. A deal, said the other mother. Now eat up your breakfast, my sweet. Don't worry, it won't hurt you. Coraline stared at the breakfast, hating herself for giving in so easily, but she was starving. How do I know that you'll keep your word? asked Coraline. I swear it, said the other mother. I swear it on my own mother's grave. Does she have a grave? asked Coraline. Oh, yes, said the other mother. 
I put her in there myself, and when I found her trying to crawl out, I put her back. Swear on something else, so I can trust that you keep your word. My right hand, said the other mother, holding it up. She waggled the long fingers slowly, displaying the claw-like nails. I swear on that. Caroline shrugged. Okay, she said. It's a deal. She ate the breakfast, trying not to wolf it down. She was hungrier than she had thought. As she ate, her other mother stared at her. It was hard to read expressions into those black button eyes. But Coraline thought that her other mother looked hungry too. She drank the orange juice. Even though she knew she would like it, she could not bring herself to taste the hot chocolate. Where should I start looking? asked Coraline. Where you wish, said her other mother as if she did not care at all. Coraline looked at her and Coraline thought hard. There was no point, she decided, in exploring the garden and the grounds. They didn't exist. They weren't real. There was no abandoned tennis court in the other mother's world. No bottomless well. All that was real was the house itself. She looked around the kitchen. She opened the oven, peered into the freezer, poked into the salad compartment of the fridge. The other mother followed her about, looking at Coraline with a smirk, always hovering at the edge of her lips. How big are souls, anyway? asked Coraline. The other mother sat down at the kitchen table and leaned back against the wall, saying nothing. She picked at her teeth with a long, crimson-varnished fingernail. Then she tapped the finger gently. Tap, 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 against the polished black surface of her black button eyes. Fine, said Coraline. Don't tell me. I don't care. It doesn't matter if you help me or not. Everyone knows that a soul is the same size as a beach ball. She was hoping that the other mother would say something like, Nonsense, they're the size of ripe onions or suitcases or grandfather clocks. But the other mother simply smiled and the tap, tap, tapping of her fingernail against her eye was as steady and relentless as the drip of water droplets from the faucet of the sink. And then Coraline realized it was simply the noise of the water. And she was alone in the room. Coraline shivered. She preferred the other mother to have a location if she were nowhere she could be anywhere. And after all, it is always easier to be afraid of something that you cannot see. She put her hands into her pockets and her fingers closed around the reassuring shape of the stone with a hole in it. She pulled it out of her pocket, held it in front of her as if she were holding a gun, and walked out into the hall. There was no sound but the tap-tap of the water dripping into the metal sink. She glanced at the mirror at the end of the hall. For a moment it clouded over, and seemed to her that faces swam in the glass, indistinct and shapeless. And then the faces were gone, and there was nothing in the mirror but a girl who was small for her age, holding something that glowed gently, like green coal. Coraline looked down at her hand, surprised it was just a stone with a hole in it, a nondescript brown pebble. Then she looked back into the mirror where the stone glimmered like an emerald. A trail of green fire blew from the pebble in the mirror and drifted towards Coraline's bedroom. Hmm, said Coraline. She walked into the bedroom. The toys fluttered excitedly as she walked in as if they were pleased to see her and a little tank rolled out of the toy box to greet her, its tread rolling over several other toys. It fell from the toy box onto the floor, tipping as it fell, and it lay on the carpet like a beetle on its back, grumbling and grinding its treads before Coraline picked it up and turned it over. The tank fled under the bed in embarrassment. Coraline looked around the room. She looked in the cupboards and the drawers 
Then she picked up one end of the toy box and tipped all the toys in it out onto the carpet, where they grumbled and stretched and wiggled awkwardly free of each other. A grey marble rolled across the floor and clicked against the wall. None of the toys looked particularly soul-like, she thought. She picked up and examined a silver charm bracelet from which hung tiny animal charms that chased each other around the perimeter of the bracelet, the fox never catching the rabbit, the bear never gaining on the fox. Coraline opened her hand and looked at the stone with a hole in it, hoping for a clue but not finding one. Most of the toys that had been in the toy box had now crawled away to hide under the bed, and the few toys that were left, a green plastic soldier, the glass marble, a vivid pink yo-yo and such, were the kind of things that you find in the bottoms of toy boxes in the real world. Forgotten objects, abandoned and unloved. She was about to leave and look elsewhere, and then she remembered... A voice in the darkness, a gentle, whispering voice, and what it had told her to do. She raised the stone with a hole in it and held it in front of her right eye. She closed her left eye and looked at the room through the hole in the stone. Through the stone, the world was grey and colourless like a pencil drawing. Everything in it was grey. No, not quite everything. Something glinted on the floor, something the colour of an ember in a nursery fireplace. The colour of a scarlet and orange tulip nodding in the May sun. Coraline reached out her left hand, scared that if she took her eye off of it, it would vanish, and she fumbled for the burning thing. Her fingers closed about something smooth and cool, and she snatched it up and lowered the stone with a hole in it from her eye and looked down. The grey glass marble from the bottom of the toy box sat dully in the pink palm of her hand. She raised the stone to her eye once more and looked through it at the marble. Once again, the marble burned and flickered with a red fire. A voice whispered in her mind, Indeed, lady, it comes to me that I certainly was a boy, now I do think on it. But you must hurry. There were two of us still to find, and the beldam is already angry with you for uncovering me. If I'm going to do this, thought Coraline, I'm not going to do it in her clothes. She changed back into her pyjamas and her dressing gown and her slippers, leaving the grey sweater and black jeans neatly folded on the bed, the orange boots on the floor by the toy box. She put the marble into her dressing gown pocket and walked out into the hall. Something stung her face and hands like sand blowing on a beach on a windy day. She covered her eyes and pushed forward. The sand stings got worse and it got harder and harder to walk, as if she were pushing into the wind on a particularly blustery day. It was a vicious wind and a cold one. She took a step backwards, the way that she had come. "'I'll keep going,' whispered a ghost voice in her ear, "'for the beldam is angry.' She stepped forward in the hallway into another gust of wind which stung her cheeks and face with invisible sand, sharp as needles, sharp as glass. "'Play fair,' shouted Coraline into the wind. There was no reply, but the wind whipped about her one more time petulantly and then dropped away, and was gone. As she passed the kitchen, Coraline could hear in the sudden silence the drip-drip of the water from the leaking tap, or perhaps the other mother's long fingernails tapping impatiently against the table. Coraline resisted the urge to look. In a couple of strides, she reached the front door and she walked outside. Coraline went down the steps and around the house until she reached the other Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's flat. The lamps around the door were flickering on and off almost randomly now, spelling out no words that Coraline could understand. The door was closed. She was afraid it was locked, and she pushed on it with all of her strength. First it stuck, then suddenly it gave. 
and with a jerk, Coraline stumbled into the dark room beyond. Coraline closed one hand around the stone with a hole in it, and walked forwards into blackness. She expected to find a curtained anteroom, but there was nothing there. The room was dark. The theatre was empty. She moved ahead cautiously. Something rustled above her. She looked up into a deeper darkness, and as she did so, her feet knocked against something. She reached down, picked up a flashlight, and clinked it on, sweeping the beam around the room. The theatre was derelict and abandoned. Chairs were broken on the floor, and old, dusty spiderwebs draped the walls and hung from the rotten wood and the decomposing velvet hangings. Something rustled again. Coraline directed her light beam upwards towards the ceiling. There were things up there, hairless jellyfish. She thought they might once have had faces, might even once have been dogs, but no dogs had wings like bats or could hang like spiders like bats upside down. The light startled the creatures and one of them took to the air, its wings whirring heavily through the dust. Coraline ducked as it swooped close to her. It came to rest on a far wall, and it began to clamber upside down back to the nest of the dog bats upon the ceiling. Coraline raised the stone to her eye, and she scanned the room through it, looking for something that glowed or glinted, a telltale sign that somewhere in this room there was another hidden soul. She ran the beam of the flashlight about the room as she searched, the thick dust in the air making the light beam seem almost solid. There was something up on the back wall behind the ruined stage. It was greyish-white, twice the size of Coraline herself, and it was stuck to the back wall like a slug. Coraline took a deep breath. I'm not afraid, she told herself. I'm not. She did not believe herself, but she scrambled up onto the old stage, fingers sinking into the rotting wood as she pulled herself up. As she got closer to the thing on the wall, she saw that it was some kind of sack, like a spider's egg case. It twitched in the light beam. Inside the sack was something that looked like a person, but a person with two heads, with twice as many arms and legs as it should have. The creature in the sack seemed horribly unformed and unfinished, as if two plasticine people had been warmed and rolled together, squashed and pressed into one thing. Coraline hesitated. She did not want to approach the thing. The dog bats dropped, one by one, from the ceiling and began to circle the room, coming close to her but never touching her. Perhaps there are no souls hidden in here, she thought. Perhaps I can just leave and go somewhere else. She took a last look through the hole in the stone. The abandoned theatre was still a bleak grey, but now there was a brown glow, as rich and bright as polished cherrywood, coming from inside the sack. Whatever was glowing was being held in one of the hands of the thing on the wall. Coraline walked slowly across the damp stage, trying to make as little noise as she could, afraid that if she disturbed the thing in the sack, it would open its eyes and see her, and then... But there was nothing that she could think of as scary as having it look at her. Her heart pounded in her chest. She took another step forward. She had never been so scared, but still she walked forward until she reached the sack. Then she pushed her hand into the sticky, clinging whiteness of the stuff on the wall. It crackled softly, like a tiny fire as she pushed, and it clung to her skin and clothes like a spiderweb clings, like white cotton candy. She pushed her hand into it, and she reached upward until she touched a cold hand, which was, she could feel, 
closed around another glass marble. The creature's skin felt slippery, as if it had been covered in jelly. Coraline tugged at the marble. At first, nothing happened. It was held tight in the creature's grasp, and one by one the fingers loosened their grip, and the marble slipped into her hand. She pulled her arm back through the sticky webbing, relieved that the thing's eyes had not opened. She shone the light on its faces. They resembled, she decided, the younger versions of Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, but twisted and squeezed together, like two lumps of wax that had melted and melded together into one ghastly thing. Without warning, one of the creature's hands made a grab for Coraline's arm. Its fingernails scraped her skin, but it was too slippery to grip, and Coraline pulled away successfully. And then... The eyes opened, four black buttons glinting and staring down at her, and two voices that sounded like no voice that Coraline had ever heard began to speak. One of them wailed and whispered. The other buzzed like a fat and angry bluebottle at a window pane. But the voices said as one person, Thief! Give it back! Stop! Thief! The air became alive with dog bats. Coraline began to back away. She realized then that terrifying though the thing on the wall that had once been the other Mrs. Spink and Forcible was, it was attached to the wall by its web, encased in its cocoon, and it could not follow her. The dog bats flapped and fluttered about her, but they did nothing to hurt Coraline. She climbed down from the stage, shone the flashlight about the old theater, looking for the way out. Flee, miss, wailed a girl's voice in her head. Flee now. You have two of us. Flee this place while your blood still flows. Coraline dropped the marble into her pocket besides the other. She spotted the door, ran to it, and pulled on it until it opened. Outside, the world had become a formless, swirling mist with no shapes or shadows behind it, while the house itself seemed to have twisted and stretched. It seemed to Coraline that it was crouching and staring down at her as if it were not really a house, but only the idea of a house. And the person who had had the idea she was certain was not a good person. There was sticky web stuff clinging to her arm, and she wiped it off as best as she could. The grey windows of the house slanted at strange angles. The other mother was waiting for her, standing on the grass with her arms folded. Her black button eyes were expressionless, but her lips were pressed tightly together in a cold fury. When she saw Coraline, she reached out one long white hand and she crooked her finger. Coraline walked towards her. The other mother said nothing. I got two, said Coraline. One soul still to go. The expression on the other mother's face did not change. She might not have heard what Coraline said. Well, I just thought you'd want to know, said Coraline. Thank you, Coraline, said the other mother coldly. Her voice did not just come from her mouth. It came from the mist and the fog and the house and the sky. She said, You know that I love you. And despite herself, Coraline nodded. It was true. The other mother loved her, but she loved Coraline as a miser loves money, or a dragon loves its gold. In the other mother's button eyes, Coraline knew that she was a possession. Nothing more. A tolerated pet whose behavior was no longer amusing. I don't want your love, said Coraline. I don't want anything from you. Not even a helping hand asked the other mother, 
You have been doing so well after all. I thought you might want a little hint to help you with the rest of your treasure hunt. I'm doing fine on my own, said Coraline. Yes, said the other mother. But if you wanted to get into the flat in the front, the empty one to look around, you would find the door locked. And then where would you be? Oh, Caroline pondered this for a moment. Then she said, Is there a key? The other mother stood there in paper-grey fog of the flattening world. Her black hair drifted about her head as if it had a mind and a purpose all of its own. She coughed suddenly in the back of her throat, and then she opened her mouth. The other mother reached up her hand and removed a small brass front door key from her tongue. Here, she said, you'll need this to get in. She tossed the key casually towards Coraline, who caught it one-handed before she could really think about whether she wanted it or not. The key was slightly damp. A chill wind blew about them, and Coraline shivered and looked away. When she looked back, she was alone. Uncertain, she walked around to the front of the house and stood in front of the door to the empty flat. Like all of the doors, it was painted bright green. She does not mean you well, whispered a ghost voice in her ear. We do not believe she would help you. It must be a trick. Coraline said, Yes, you're right, I expect. Then she put the key in the lock and turned it. Silently, the door swung open. And silently... Coraline walked inside.